Welcome to Everything Comes Together. My name is Srinag. I'm an architectural photographer based in Chennai, India. My guest today is architect V Balaji, currently a professor design chair at Miyasi Academy of Architecture and a former partner at Bharat and Associates. In the interest of maximum COVID safety, this interview was recorded outside, so you may hear more ambient sounds than normal. On everything comes together, I'll be speaking with people in the broader photography, architecture and design communities. Rather than only talking about their work, we will be talking about them, their personal journey, the challenges they overcame and the most pivotal incidents in their lives that made them who they are today. So now, let's get to it. It's not every day that you'd get to deep dive into the life of someone who has both over 50 years of experience in architectural practice and is also faculty of an architecture college. V. Balaji's footprint on the architectural landscape of Chennai extends from being a partner in one of the city's heralded firms to molding talented architects into the future. Among many other topics, he opens up about his entry into architecture in the 1960s, being a part of a six-partner firm for over 40 years, and the importance of a good education in the subject. My mother studied only up to uh, SSLC, but she passed her SSLC at the age of 13 and a half or something. And but for the fact that in those days, uh, girls got married fairly young, and if I recall correctly, there was a, there was a clause in her uh, mark sheet saying that she could not go into college until the age of 16 or something like that. Mm -hmm. She was given her SSLC certificate, but conditional that she doesn't go into college before the age of 16. She had, that was part of the certificate? Yes, it was part of the certificate in those days. Okay. Because she had, she had graduated from school at the age of 13 and a half. So at 16, she got married. Sorry, how did she graduate from school at 13 and a half? I am not sure. I think she got she got double promotion twice or some such thing. She, she was very she. I mean, my mother is very intelligent, okay. very uh, academically gifted. No, she, she is very good at applying herself. Okay. Even today, she is ninety plus. Okay. But uh, even even today, she is very interested in everything that is happening around her. Reads a lot. She's she's a voracious reader. Follows the news. Follows sports. And is in touch with a lot of people. I think she would have done extremely well at higher studies, but she didn't do that. Okay. Okay. She got married and was a homemaker after that. My my father was a chemical engineer, and um, he worked for Tomcos, that is Tomco Tata Oil Mills. I I'm not sure. I think it was his first job, and he stayed with the firm right up till the end till he retired. So. We were originally at Ernakulam and uh, my my early childhood was there. Ernakulam, if you uh, I mean as you probably know, it's a backwater town. Yes. Yeah, it's today. It's a city today. In yes. those days, it was a town. And uh, while I was growing up, the place was idyllic, very peaceful, very even today it is beautiful, but not as beautiful as it was then. Okay. Um, we were living in the company quarters. Tata's had a very beautiful. A colony over there. I grew up over there. Did my did the first year of my schooling in Ernakulam, uh, Malayalam medium. And uh, when I was six, my father was transferred to Bombay. Okay, so that would have been a very 
different experience. It was it was a totally different experience. Where I was living, I didn't have people who spoke either Tamil or Malayalam. So in early stages, it was difficult for me to make friends, to play with others. The medium of education was English. I didn't know a word of English. So I would be sort of, you know, letter by letter trying to follow what was being taught. And uh, I would be in the second or third sentence of the page when the teacher would have moved on to the next page. page. So the first few months were a struggle. But in the school where I was studying, there was a Malayali teacher who realized what I was going through and was very helpful to me. Okay. And uh, at home, my parents realized what I was going through. And so they helped, helped me learn English. I, I was required to speak to them in English, English at home. Okay. I was provided with storybooks and what not to read. So in a few months, I was able to cope. My, the half yearly exams, I think out of sheer pity, I was given a pass. <laughs> As the names were being read out, I was the last name of the past students in that list. Mm. The next exam, which was a few months later, mine was the first name called out and I was not even prepared for it. It had to be called several times because I was expecting my name to come somewhere down there to this one. Yeah. And I still remember that I got that mark sheet and I came I mean, I, I got onto a bus. Oh, that's another thing. Bombay taught yes. me to be self-reliant. Even at that very young age, I was, I mean, we went there when I was six. And the incident I'm talking about, I was around seven. I had caught a bus, a public bus, got down. And I remember running all the way home, panting, because I had this pink slip, which denoted one of the top ranks. And I had the first rank in the class. I can't tell you how excited I was. I so, so, uh, anyhow, what? There was one instance where I felt that look, hard work does pay. If yes. one one works hard enough, puts you, if you put your mind to something and you're willing to work at it, yes, you can make it work. So, big shift, new language, but I started coping with it. By then, I started making friends in the neighborhood. So, I had friends who spoke different languages. I was becoming little more comfortable speaking Hindi. And uh, if I remember correctly from the second stand, no, from, yeah, from the second standard itself, we were, we were required to learn Marathi also. Okay. So I learned several languages, but it was in Bombay that this thing started. And how many years were you in Bombay? Uh, we were in Bombay for eight years. Okay. So most of my schooling was in Bombay, English medium. In school, I had to learn four languages, mm -hmm. which didn't include Tamil and Malayalam. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, totally I have learned eight languages. So in school, did anything? Did you study anything that helped you later on in architecture? Did you oh, yes. have any experiences with that? Yeah, the curriculum included fourteen subjects, and there were several subjects which we had to participate. The marks for I mean, passing failing was I don't think it was that much of a criteria. If you failed in all of them, I, I don't know what would happen. But passing failing was not the criteria. We had to be exposed to many things. So drawing was one of them. And again, you, you asked me about connection with architecture. Yeah. Drawing is the only subject that I have ever failed in in school. So drawing is the only subject? Yes, it is the only subject. Uh, I failed in drawing. I got 11 marks out of uh, 100 in the first terminal exam. And I, was, and I also got the first rank in class. Okay, so that is after that 
early exposure when I was taken by surprise and I got the first try. It, for me, it was sort of, I had to be topping my class. It, yes. I, had, I had got uh, into that mode. So yeah. again, in my fifth standard, I, I topped my class, but I had a failure, red line under the drawing mark. And okay. I was so ashamed of that, more than proud of the first. So I was so ashamed of that, that I went home and I started practicing drawing. And the way I did that was in those days, comics used to have, I mean, today I know what is behind it. Yeah. But there used to be some images. It was an advertisement. There, there would be an image. And see if you can draw this. And if you can't draw it, it means you have talent. Write to us and we'll help you to develop. Some such thing. Oh, I don't know the exact words. Uh -huh. So I chose one or two of those images and I started doing them over and over and over again till I could do it blindfolded. I, of course, I never applied at all that. That was not it. But doing something over and over and over again, I think I started training my hand. And by the time the final exam came, I taught the class in drawing. I, I still remember I got 92 out of 100 for that exam. From 11, I had jumped to 92. 92. And that's so, again back, back to putting in that hard work. Exactly. exactly. If at all, I, I needed reinforcement of that one principle that things are possible if you want them badly enough and if you're willing to work towards it. Yeah. I didn't have to work for my studies. That came very, very easily to me. In fact, I was a bad influence on other students okay. because I would never seen, I was never seen to be working, but I was always getting the marks. So I'm sure, but for my close friends, a lot of people wouldn't have thought and they wouldn't have viewed me very kindly. Yes. But studies were not a problem. Drawing had been a problem, but that had gone into the past. Yes. But what happened was my drawing teacher was so impressed with the jump that I had made that he talked to my parents, persuaded them from next year onwards to allow me to stay back in school three days a week okay. so that he could give me special training. Okay. So over and above the standard of the class, he was helping me to develop. And then he persuaded my parents to allow me to sit for a government exam in drawing, which I passed. So things were moving along like that. But then we got transferred out of, uh, my father got transferred back to Ernatlo. Okay. So eight years, eight years in uh, Bombay, when I picked up some languages, picked up confidence in my abilities, that is particularly academic abilities, picked up the skill in drawing. In fact, I was so confident that I could do anything that drawing, uh, singing contest, I would put up my hand. <laughs> and I, I can't sing for nuts. <laughs> Absolutely. My parents were shocked when I told them that I've entered the singing competition. So, <laughs> and that's a whole confidence. Yes, yes. It, it was, I had blind faith in my abilities. Yes. <laughs> now, this sounds actually like a really pretty great school um, to have been in to have to put so much of emphasis on non academic oh, yes. subjects. Which school is this? Uh, the school I studied in was St. Joseph's Madala. Okay. And um, sports was part of our curriculum. Okay. I mean, even in the other school, it was there. There it was physical education. Here it was sports and physical education combined. So okay. the entire class had to go out and we used to do various exercises. And then we would be divided into groups and we had to take part in various sport, sports activities. Sure. So it, it, it was not a huge school. Yes. And uh, it used to cater to middle income, lower middle income uh, family children. Okay. I visited the school much later. Okay. And by then, Bombay had certain policies about, I think, catchment area, you know, all that. So this school was serving uh, children from lower middle income and slums. Okay. But 
the the education i received there was excellent yeah the my foundation in most things was very very good thanks to that school so now that you have probably come to the end of school by this point by the time when you were back in anakulam um where does your interest in architecture come in how did you get into architecture itself see um we we moved back to bombay in uh, 1961 Uh, so back we are not from Bombay in '61, and uh, I'm not completed my schooling. I still have two years left in school. Uh, those days in Ernakulam, uh, you did not have to choose any particular stream. At the end of your school, all avenues were still open to you. Anyhow, as I was approaching the end of PUC, there was a slight tussle at home. My mother wanted me to be a doctor. My father wanted me to be an engineer. I didn't have any. I didn't have a preference, okay. and I had this blind belief that whatever I wanted to be, I could be. That belief I had. That confidence. That confidence I had. Yeah. And as I told you, studies, studies were. I mean, they came easily to me. I was doing well in all the subjects. So it is not as though I was doing well in one subject, not doing well. I had to avoid that subject. I didn't have. I didn't have those problems. So uh, I was absolutely undecided. I was leaning more towards architecture, as I was more towards uh, engineering than uh, medicine. Mainly because by then I had already become very keen on sports, and uh, I felt that if I went into medicine, I would have to put those things away to become very secondary. Somehow I felt that if I were in an engineering course, I could combine the two. So heart of hearts, I wanted to do engineering and not medicine. At this stage, my parents. Consulted my uncle. I had an uncle who was uh, into academics. He was teaching at Delhi Delhi College of Engineering. Okay. I think, in fact, if I remember correctly, he was the head of the civil engineering department. Okay. And in those days, architecture came under that uh, engineering department, civil engineering department. So my uncle knew about my having, you know, passed a drawing exam in Bombay and being keen on drawing and all that. Yes. And he knew how I was academically. So he told my parents that, he, in his opinion, architecture would suit me more than any other engineering subject. And he said he didn't have an opinion about medicine. Engineering subjects, he felt architecture might be the ideal one because I have certain skills that other people don't have. So that would be good. I had no idea what architecture was. Okay, absolutely no idea. So. Uh, I mean, I, I knew to the extent that architecture was something to do with buildings, but beyond that, I didn't know what the course was. Okay. My uncle said this. My parents were agreeable, so fine. I start. I decided to apply for architecture. My uncle encouraged me to sit for an IIT exam. He said IIT has uh, IIT has architecture correct code. In his opinion, that would be the place where I should study. And he said this even though he was at Delhi. Okay. Of course, I didn't know at that point in time that architecture was there under him in Delhi. I didn't know that. Okay. So he said, "Sit for this entrance exam in IIT, and uh, you have—I mean, you should try and get in there. Of course, you can also apply to other colleges." And with that, he went away. I mean, he was in Delhi, so uh, there were very few examination centers, and also there was a huge, huge difference in the standard. That is, the question paper was set based on the higher secondary uh, syllabus. Which was so much higher than what we had in Kerala. Okay. So I went to Delhi, stayed with my uncle for a, for over a month, borrowed books from a neighbor who who was also taking the IIT entrance exam. So borrowed his books, 
and each book was about this this thing. Yeah, several books. We had organic chemistry, inorganic chemistry, physics, maths. English was one thing. I didn't need to do anything about it. So uh, I used to study for something like that. Probably twelve hours a day, or maybe more than that. Wow. Morning till night till I went to bed, I would be doing only this. And uh, my head was really swimming by the time the exams came. I could only go through everything once. My uncle, when he came back from from his college, evenings he would sit with me and try to guide me a little bit. So finally, the exams came, and I I felt I had done very badly. So I immediately informed my parents, and I said, "No, there's no hope of my getting through. I would like to come back to Arunachal." My parents said, uh, "The uh, one of the things that we had been told was that there would be no communication." Telling us whether we had passed or failed. There would be a communication if we, if I had qualified for an interview, which would mean I had passed and passed at a sufficiently high rank to be called for an interview. Sure. And uh, if that if that intimation comes, then you come for the interview. Otherwise, you wait until such and such a date. If you haven't heard from us, it means you have failed. You are you are not qualified. An interview would be in Delhi itself. Uh, I had to choose an interview centre. There were several. And I had opted for Delhi because I was expected to be in Delhi. Right. So now that I wanted to go back home because I hadn't done well, my parents said, "No, you stay until that particular cut-off date." So very unwillingly I stayed on because Delhi in summer was intolerable. Yeah. I had the, it was no pressure staying in Delhi. So I stayed. Though my uncle and aunt were very very welcoming, so that was not the problem. It was just I I wanted to get back to Arunachal. Now I, I stayed in Delhi, and uh, during that time, uh, I also visited Calcutta. Came back to Delhi. During that time, during that time, Jawaharlal Nehru died, and everything went topsy-turvy. So schedules went haywire. Colleges closed down for a week. So the cut-off date came, and I boarded the train and I came back home. And a few days later, the interview card for an interview in Delhi on a particular day oh, came to my uncle's house. I was saying you. I had I had already come to uh, Chennai and the, in those days Madras, yes. caught a train and gone off to Arunachal. The, the the thing is, my uncle and aunt, his family, they followed to Madras a few days behind me, and this card came only after they left Delhi. So they didn't see it. Either. They too didn't see it. Fortunately, the neighbor whose books I had borrowed knew that I had sat for this exam, and he, when he saw this. He realized it was this, and the only address he had was my uncle's forwarding address in the in uh, uh, this one in Chennai. Yes. So he forwarded it to Chennai. It came to Chennai. I had left Chennai. Uh, I had left Madras. So from there it was forwarded, and it came to Arunachal. By the time I finally got it, the interview was over in Delhi. So uh, I got a seat at Kharagpur. Yes. But it sort of slipped out of my hands. So where did you end up studying in next? So, fortunately, when I when I was in uh, with my uncle, another of my cousins was also there, and that cousin was uh, had studied at AC Tech, and AC Tech, that is Agapachitya College of Technology, right. had a department of architecture. So he said, "There is architecture here. You should apply here." And right. I just took him through one year and out of the other year. Now AC Tech okay. is uh, present day Anna University. Yes, present day SAP Anna University. Yes. So AC Tech and SAP have become two separate institutions. Sure. But in those days, it was one institution. Architecture was one of the departments. There were four departments. You had uh, chemical engineering, textile technology, leather technology, and architecture. Okay. So he got hold of an application form 
made me fill it up and I put in the application form and I forgot about it completely. Okay. When I filled up the form, I had not yet received my Kerala results, my PUC results. Okay. So in the column where I was supposed to fill in the marks and what class I had and all that, I just filled in saying I expect a first class, I don't have my marks, I'll send it when I get it. And I put in the application form and promptly forgot about it. So the results came, I was at home, I had applied to other colleges, almost every college that I applied to, I, I, could, I did get a, you know, invitation and all that. But I forgot about this. And suddenly one day I received a communication from them, from AC Tech, asking me to come for an interview. Okay. So when I went, and still I had forgotten that I had not sent them the mark list. So when I went to the interview, I was asked, you have written like this, have, did you get a first class of some such question? And I said, yes, I got a first class, I got so many marks. You have not yet given it to us, please give it. And so you, you found out about that at the interview itself? No, I found out at the interview that I, I mean, I was reminded that I had not given it to them. So I handed it in. You know, after the interview, I handed it in. I also got to uh, see that Rwanda, uh, College of Engineering Architecture, but that they were just starting that year. This college, what is now SAP, yeah. was into its eighth year. I was in the eighth batch. So I felt this was a more, uh, you know, substantial course. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it has been there longer and so joined over here. Okay. So that's how I get, got into architecture, still not knowing what architecture was. In fact, I don't know one thing. Sure. At, the, at the interview, I was asked to name any architect. And of course, I didn't know any architect. But suddenly I remembered that on my way to the interview, I caught a bus which had come through Santo and there was one building well, which, was, which was just coming up and there had been a board there and there was the name of the architect for that particular, this one. So I named that architect and whoever asked me the question nodded, smiled and that was it. But I didn't know any architect. In fact, one of the leading architects of Chennai was on the, my, that, that is the, the interview panel. It was in the interview panel, Professor Pitavadian. Oh, okay. he, he was he was, one of the he was the person who asked the question. Or I don't know, but maybe it was someone else. Right. But he just sort of smiled. The others nodded their heads. But I had named some other architect. Yes. Because that was the only name. And even that, it was only because I noticed it. If you hadn't noticed, if I hadn't noticed it, I would have said, I don't know any architect. Right. So how was your experience at AC Tech? Oh, it, 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 was, it was wonderful. Right. I mean, it was a five-year course. Four of my five years were absolutely wonderful. My fifth year, I was miserable in college, but that's for some other reason. Sure. The, the, one of the things which I found very, very good about, about uh, studying in this particular college, as I told you, we had four departments yeah. and we had a common hostel. So I made a lot of friends from the other departments. And these are my lifelong friends, apart from my, apart from the architects, who I mean, no architects, the students who then studied with me, with whom also I have lifelong friendship. I have friends from the other community of chemical engineers, leather technology, uh, textile technology. I'm very much in touch with all of them, with a very large number of them even today. Yes. And I, I personally think that living together, studying together, for an architect it is particularly helpful because if we were studying in a campus which was exclusive to architects, all my friends would have been only architects who later in life would be my either my colleagues or my competitors. Yes. Not the people who give me jobs. Whereas I grew up in an environment where many of the, my friends 
later became my clients or they worked in companies where they persuaded the companies and said look i know so and so from for such and such so, you know so, such a long time and i know that that firm is very capable they have these people they, you know those benefits are there yeah it also rounds out your personality you know you you get to hear and learn many other things so currently in the educational system and i think this is encouraged by the council of architecture there is a i mean architecture institutions are supposed to be stand alone institutions they are not they are supposed to not be under a common uh, this one uh, uh, yes uh, what, what shall i say an independent campus or to- total autonomy it can be autonomy under a university but architecture itself must have autonomy okay i think autonomy is fine but studying along with other disciplines i think is a better system yes sir it also broadens your horizons yes. broadens the type of people you interact with absolutely yes so i am i am all in favor of the earlier thing yeah the uh, i understand that a chemical engineer or a textile technologist or a leather technologist should not be taking decisions on how architecture is done that i can, I, i totally buy yes okay architects know best how architecture should be taught that is something yes i subscribe to sure but architects need to inter- interact with people from other disciplines and form long term long term friendships with them yes, that is something that i yeah i think is very important so now that you also have a lot of experience in within educational uh, on the education side as well as a teacher or as a mentor um do you think students today as well have to make a jump from school to co- to uh, an architecture college or is it a little bit of a smoother transition no i i think i think even today students when they come into an architecture college yeah uh, many of them will come without knowing what they are in for a few might have have had exposure because there are more architects around they they would have talked to other people these days it's so difficult to get seats in colleges not the way it was when i was a student when i got into the college yeah but these days it is so difficult that parents and students invest a lot of time in finding out more about the courses that they are going into and what will happen so many students will quite a few students will come in knowing what to expect and still it will be a surprise for them but but a much larger number will come in without even knowing how this course is going to be and for them it will be as much of a shock as it was for me okay the the way architecture is taught is different the what you I and mean, what you learn in the first year is very different from what your classmates that is your classmates in 12th standard will be learning in their courses whether it is engineering medicine chemistry physics arts you know yeah economics whatever the the way things are taught and the way you study is somewhat similar to what you were doing in school it's very different in architecture also okay. that first year there is a shock for students sure and that is the time when teachers have to be really good the faculty you need faculty who are really specialists in teaching basic design and dealing with this with these fresh to students yes that is absolutely important in in an architectural college so when you were in college you must have done a few internships i assume Oh, yes. um, could you expand a little on that briefly oh, i in my enthusiasm went and tried to do my internship start my internship in my first summer it's a summer vacation okay so this was in ernakulam i went to the office of one mr kg sukumaran it's again it, i didn't know anything else except that i noticed his name while 
cycling to my college, school and college. So I knew there was a KG Sukumar, an architect. So I walked up to his office, asked, and he said, are you sure you want to do? Are you sure? Asked me many times. And then when I was very insistent, he said, okay, you come. So I went there. I was given some work. I tried to do the work diligently. I found it difficult because I really didn't know how to do it. Yeah. I was given something to draw and I kept doing it. And I found it extremely boring. I felt I was not learning anything. This went on for about two weeks. Then I decided that look, the rest of my work, rest of my life, I'm going to be working. Yeah. So I think that next this year and next year I should enjoy my summer vacation. So I just stopped working after two weeks. Enjoyed my summer vacation. Second summer, I made no attempt to go anywhere for internship. And in my from my third year onwards, that is the third vacation onwards, yeah. I started working. I tried to find a place for internship. Did that, okay. and uh, uh, that cost of it. I mean, I found it extremely use, useful there. Yeah, you were probably not ready in the first year. Yes, absolutely not ready. Yeah. And I, I also today I can say that yeah. look, there is a time for everything. There is no need to start, you know, training, working too early. Yeah. Use use your time. I mean, find the right time to do the right thing. Yeah. So in your third and fourth year, you interned with a well-known architect in in Madras. Yeah. For me, the tried and tested method was to look at boards, get to know some names and go there. And so there was one architect whose name used to figure in many construction sites. I used to see it all over Chennai. So I went to that particular office, that architect's office. And I think I spent three days trying to meet the architect. And I could never meet the architect. I spent, I think, upwards of something like 12 hours in, in that office, spread over three days without seeing the architect and I was very dejected, I was coming away when I ran into a senior from my college who asked me, oh, where are you going to intern? I said, no, for the last three days I've been going to so-and-so's office okay. and haven't been able to see him. And so the senior said, my God, you wanted to go to that office. I'm glad you didn't get to see him. That isn't the place where you should be doing your internship. And then he suggested Ara Sharma. I had heard of Arash Sharma, but I had also heard that he was an extremely severe taskmaster. Yes. And I mean, people would have to sort of work extremely hard in his office, very, very strict disciplinarian. And uh, I had heard many people say that is not a place to go for internship. You should go to a place where you can also relax, relax a bit. Yes. Others had said this. So the senior said, nothing doing. That is the place you should go to if you want to really learn. So I said, okay, where is it? He said, you just walked past his office and he turned me around and he sent me to the office. I was on CP Ramsamaya Road, the office was on CP Ramsamaya Road. Okay. So I went, I went to his office, I requested to see him. Within five minutes he saw me, which itself was such a difference from the you know, earlier yeah, office. Yeah. He asked me a few questions and asked me to join for the next day. So I started. Wow, that was That's quick turnaround. Quick turnaround. Yeah. He didn't ask to see my work and stuff like that. He just talked to me a little bit, said, come from tomorrow. And I went there. And that was, I mean, I had a totally different perception of architecture and what I needed to do and what I needed to learn, what I needed to become good at after I had worked in that office that summer. I liked it so much that next year after my fourth year, fourth year summer vacation, once again I went, I requested. I had requested at the end of the third year, third, that internship itself, can I come back next year? And he said, yes, you're welcome. So next year again I went. So I did about four months of internship there. 
and uh, later on went into fifth year. And so, what what did you sort of gain from your experience there? Apart from, oh, he's obviously an established architect, right? So, what did you pick up from that that you were able to use in the future? Okay. I went into the internship with no expectations because I didn't know what I was going to learn. I didn't know how I would be used by the office, what I would learn. I, I had no uh, preconceived ideas. I, I knew nothing. So, I first thing that I found was I had to be I had to be at my work. I had to be focused right through the day. I had to be punctual. No bunking, no relaxing. Yes, there would be a tea break or a coffee break when we would be served. I could take the coffee, go sit down somewhere. There was a small library, I could go and look at things. I could take drawings from other projects, look through them. In fact, I was encouraged to do all those things. Sure. All those things were done in a very controlled manner. There was somebody in charge of these things. So all of that. But the main thing is, I had to be focused on work and work-related matters from the time I entered the office to the time I left the office. That was expected. And you would be given assignments, small assignments, but these assignments had to be, I mean, uh, they had to be done on time. They had to be done on time, not only done on time, the progress would be reviewed. For example, Ara Sharma would have a discussion with some clients. And at the end of the discussion, if he was free, he would, he would send for one of the trainees. Yeah. To come with the work, he would go through the work. He would ask us questions. And of course, we, we wouldn't be able to answer many of the questions. But he would very patiently, he would take us off and you know, he would, he would make us feel very, very small. But he would painstakingly explain things to us, teach us why we were doing something in a particular manner. Yes. What is the reason to do it? How was it important in the overall scheme of things? Yeah. That way. I don't know how other offices function. But Arashama's office, I didn't have to do much. That is, I was not designing buildings. The maximum I went was to design components of a building. It might be a door, it might be a handrail, it might, you know, small components yes. or, a, or a part of a garden, you know, little, little things. But what I learned was it is paying attention to all these little things that ultimately produces the big, good, you know, full, good architecture. Yeah. There, there is one scale on which you think initially and then you have to start thinking you know keep coming down in scale and design and detail every every single one of those and the other thing I learned in this office was how important it was to do very correct technical drawings the importance of so we were we we have subjects we have whatever subjects we had then we we have it even now okay. so students are taught to draw and represent many things so that contractors can look at them and execute the work but the importance of doing this in a technically correct manner with all the required information without unnecessary information. Both, both parts are equally important. If you have a drawing which is filled with information, out of which more than 50% is really unnecessary, then it actually takes away from the effectiveness of the drawing. Yeah. Or if you have a drawing which does not have key information, again the drawing is useless. Yes. So these are things that I learned in during my internship in Ara Sharma's office. That is something that I don't know whether every office teaches this, but it is something later on after I actually became an architect and students would come to my office to learn. Yes. This is something that I try to keep in mind. I try to I I try to remember whatever I had learned and how I had been taught in Sharma's office and tried to do all this, all these things for the students later on. Okay. When they came to Bharat and Associates, that's it, for that I worked in. Yes, Bharat and Associates. Yeah, Bharat and Associates. This is the, this is the, uh, I mean, this is what I kept in mind. 
Sure. And hopefully I did half as good a job as Sharma did. Sharma was wonderful this way. At this point, it sort of points you in that direction, right? <laughs> so how did you happen to come in contact with Mr. Bharat? And how did you um, end up with him? Okay. Uh, I came in contact with Bharat because Bharat married my classmate. Okay. Okay. Jayashree was my classmate. Jayashree who, who's I mean, later one of the partners of Bharat and Associates. Jayashree was my classmate and Bharat married her. And uh, so I met Bharat for the first time, I think at his wedding. Okay. And later when we were invited to his house, Jayashree invited all her classmates. So I went there to Bharat's house, met Bharat. I already knew Bharat's brother because he was doing chemical engineering in, in uh, AC Tech. Okay. He was very keen on sports. I was very keen on sports. So we were already, you know, we knew each other very well. But I didn't know that he had a brother named Bharat at that time. I only knew him. Okay. And uh, uh, went to Bharat's house, met all of them. The next, my next contact with, with Bharat was when towards the end of my fifth year, Bharat came to the hostel, my college hostel, and uh, invited me to join. He had started a firm on his own. So he and his cousin together had formed a firm called Bharat and Associates. With, at that time with no employees. Okay. So it was the two partners and two one. partners, and even this, they were working out of Bharat's partner's house, that is Shivakumar, who uh, sh uh, sh sh see both Bharat and Shivakumar were working at Chitale. Uh, Chitales, Ellen Chitales office. Yes. And together they had decided to start on their own. And so they decided that one of them would take off, that is would resign and start working full time. And the other person would continue to work with Chitale and then, uh, you know, work beyond office hours and over weekends. And that is the way they would establish their firm. So they were, Bharat was willing to toss for it. And Shu told Bharat, no, you are newly married. So you need that income more than I do. I'll be sitting in my parents' house. So you continue with Chitale, draw your salary, which you will need. And I'll go sit at home and we'll work that way. We'll start the partnership that way. Okay. That is how they started their firm. Okay. So they had started the firm in 57. Uh, sorry, 1967. And in 1969, some, I mean, probably around February or March, Bharat came to my hostel and invited me to join the firm. Okay. okay. Now, uh, the point was, but by, by then, I had already contacted a firm in Bangalore. I'd written to them, I'd gone, uh, faced an interview, got a job in Bangalore. On the understanding that I would join them after, after my fifth year. So I told Bharat, uh, sorry Bharat, I wish I had known earlier. I've already taken up a job. Uh, I'm joining Chandravarkar in Bangalore. If I'd known earlier, I would have been happy, but Sorry, I'm already going some, yeah. somewhere else. So he said, oh, that's okay and all that. Wish me luck and went away. And that was the end of it. That's how I came in touch with Bharat. But what happened later was that my plans changed and I didn't want to leave Chennai. Yeah. I did not complete my course within five years. I actually, I, I didn't... Uh, I, didn't I didn't submit my thesis in my sixth year. So I actually took seven years to complete my course. Okay. I submitted my thesis in my seventh year. Okay. Okay. As a, as a result, uh, I decided that it wouldn't be such a good thing for me to leave Chennai and go away to, uh, uh, to Bangalore. I needed to be in Chennai in case I was required to interact with the college. Now in those days, we did not have the system of reviews. 
today if there is a student who is doing his thesis after the 10th semester, that student is required to enroll and has to sit, come for all the reviews. When I was a student, we did not have the system of reviews. Yes, we were assigned a supervisor. In those days, the supervisor was known as a guide. We were assigned a guide. But the interaction with the guide was not as intensive and as structured as it is today. Sure. But still, I felt it would be better for me to be in Chennai. And therefore, I, I wrote to Chandravarkar and said, circumstances have changed. I'm no longer able to come to Bangalore. So I'm staying on in Chennai. And I went to Bharat. Yeah. I told him, Bharat, I am now available. So I'm willing to come from tomorrow. Right. Okay. And when I did that, I got a good shot. <laughs> Bharat said, look, when you said you are not coming, I have already employed someone else. And this office, neither is my space large enough, nor, nor is my practice large enough for me to, to support two, two employees. Yes. So I just thought for a moment, then I told Bharat, Bharat, look, there is a requirement that I have to do internship. So let me intern with you. You don't pay me a salary. I will be here. And as for space, I will manage somehow. Even if you can't provide me place and all that, somehow I will manage. Let me work in your office and learn. Okay. So that is how I started. I worked for a year without a salary. A full year? A full year without a salary. Okay. Not because Bharat was stingy or anything. It just wasn't practical. He couldn't, he couldn't afford to pay. The practice couldn't support it. And yes, I was willing to work. He, in fact, I would say more out of kindness, he found work which I could do and learn with him. Okay. That's how I started. Could you just talk about your uh, experience of working in the Bharatan Associates environment. Okay. Um, when I joined Bharat, the firm was Bharat and Shivakumar. Okay. They, they were partners. Bharat, had, when, I had, when I had said that I can't join him, he had picked one of my classmates to be his employee. Yes. So my own classmate was there as my senior within the firm. That's to say he was an employee, I was an intern. Okay. But Bharat never, even though he was not paying me a salary, even though I had not graduated, it made no difference to Bharat. Okay. He also knew the background of my not having graduated and all that. So it made absolutely no difference to him. And uh, he was entrusting me, that is with the same responsibilities that he was given to a person who had, who had passed the exam and had joined the firm. Yes. And uh, Bharat had this quality. He continued to have this quality right till the end of trusting people to deliver on a job that was given to them. I mean, of course, he would use his judgment before giving some work to somebody. But after that, there was no looking over somebody's shoulder or doubting whether they could do it. Sure. So, right from the start, Bharat used to give, give us, the two of us, work which was, when it was given to us, both of us would think, how, would, how are we to do that? We don't have enough knowledge. Yeah. But invariably, we would find out how to do it and get it done. And that was part of our learning process. And of course, yes, both the partners would sort of, you know, as we were doing, if we did something wrong, they would point out how it should be done and all that. But we learned on the job. The office was so small that if a contractor came in for discussion, I had to, or a client came in for discussion, I had to get, get off my chair and offer the chair to them. So I would sit on the windowsill and work from there. I would still use my table. But I would sit on the windowsill and work from there. Yeah. And if more than one person, visitor came to the office, client and contractor or consultant and client, whatever, then two of us employees, when Gonzaga was there, both of us would go to the corridor because we couldn't be, yeah. there is one of the visitors would take a window seat, the other person would take the chair. Okay. That, it was such a tiny office. Mm. We were on the first floor of Greens Road. 
Okay. And uh, from there, again, through the goodness, kindness of one of our clients, for whom we were doing some work at LUS, uh, we, we, we were converting that person's bungalow into a residence on the first floor and a bank on the ground floor. So this person told us that he had a garage which also needed to be renovated, but he was willing to allow us to design the first floor above the garage. In those days, the rules allowed us to construct on top of the garage on the edge of the compound. Okay. Today, it's, the rules do not permit this. Okay. But in those days, it was permitted. So he said, look, you can design that portion to suit your requirements as an office. My requirement is space to park two cars, two vehicles. What you do above that is your responsibility. I will finance it. You wow. don't have to put in the money. And at the end, you just leave it and go away. And we'll fix up a reasonable rate for you. That is, that is it, it was a godfather. Yeah. Very kind, this one. And that is how we started. So sure. we moved into a designed office. But by that time, the office had grown. Yeah. So it was Bharat. And I think by then, Bharat had four employees. The office was designed for all of us. Each of us had individual tables. The entire, it, was, it was a very cute office. Extremely yeah. cute office. Coming back to the work atmosphere. Bharat was a wonderful employer. I mean, I can't think of a better employer. One was his trust in people generally and the amount of encouragement he gave to his employees, not only to us who had graduated from the same institution and maybe came out of a somewhat similar background, but to total strangers who came into the office later also, his attitude towards people and employees never changed. Yeah. And so much so that most of the time, people who joined Bharat and Associates didn't leave it. We, we only kept growing year by year. Year after year, we kept growing. Of course, the core, that is what became, what, what was Bharat and Associates, what was Bharat, that is first Bharat and Shivakumar became BJ Bharat architect. Then it became Bharat and Associates, not because we said, look, why should we work as your employees? Bharat decided, he said, look, I want you to continue being with me and I don't want you to be my employees forever. So I'm from such and such a date, you are going to be my associates and you will have a share in the profit. I mean, we, it was sprung so on us. Offered it, to you, right? it was sprung on us. I wouldn't even say offered. It was okay. not if you want. You are. Uh, it was given to us. Okay. Okay. So we became associates and later we became partners. And incidentally, much later, some of the other employees, like the secretaries, the accountant, they were made associates. How how did how was it when you were working with I think you had at this time, after a couple of years you probably ended up now with five more partners including yourself right so what was that experience like working with so many of your peers who are obviously also talented in their own particular style of architecture what was that like uh, almost right from the beginning when I say right from the beginning obviously not in the first or second year but. The moment we were ca capable of handling a project on their own and always Bharat felt we were capable of handling a project on our own earlier than we ourselves felt it. Sure. So uh, from the time we started handling projects on our own, the uh, we handled every aspect of the project, right from the initial client discussions, you know, going through the, uh, the, the design stage when until the design was frozen doing the drawings for the sanctions, getting them prepared. We were doing all the drawings ourselves. We didn't have employees to do work for us in those early days. Yeah. So every one of these, the, the sketch schemes or what we today refer to as the concept drawings, 
and then the presentation drawings, then the submission drawings, the drawings with which contractors quoted, yeah. then the drawings which were prepared for execution, detailed drawings, integration of services, the drawings that are required for that. Every one of these things was done by each of us for our pro projects. Yeah. Occasionally, when, the, when a project was very complex or which required slightly different skills, two of us, two partners would, would team up together. But even in that, it would be it would be one one partner's project with the other partner supporting that partner. Mm -hmm. So that is the way we work. There was a time when I when I in fact asked Bharat, Bharat, look, each of us we are we are better at certain things and not as good at, at certain other things. So do you think we should change over to a different style of working? Each of us handling specific aspects of one project. And Bharat, I don't even I don't even think he spent a lot of time thinking about it. He said, no, I think the way we are working works for us. Let us just continue as we are doing. So that is what we did. There was a lot of one person backing up another. Backing up another. That is the, yeah. that is, that's the way we work. We work that way. And it's not that everyone was, you know, marching to the same tune. We had different opinions. There were many occasions when we would discuss ideas, thrash and insist that, you know, each of us, you know, what we are saying is the right way and all that. Yeah. But all that was done in, in I mean, we still continued. We enjoyed working together. Yeah. On major, on major issues, we had no friction. Right. Particularly, particularly where money and the division of money was concerned, absolutely no friction. Yes. Okay. And that's on, really important. Very important. On ethics and what we do, what we don't do because it is not ethical, or what yes. we, you know, again, we were in agreement. Yeah. We might have, we might have had subtle differences even in that, but not, nothing large enough to create any friction or, you know, so, we started together, we ended together. When we started winding up, we were still all together. Yeah. And uh, I can I can tell you that if I had not been with this group of people, they, I mean, some of many of them were friends even before we became associates and partners. It's it's been a pleasure. It's been the best part of my life to have been, you know, spending it spending it with them. Yes. Earlier in college, later at work. And now that I'm out of work, we still continue to meet, we go to have lunch together, whatever. Yes. Okay, so it's been, it's been a wonderful life that way. I think that's really great to hear. So now that uh, you've spent a certain amount of time working, um, now this would have been maybe about 20 years into your, your uh, career, you start teaching as well. Right. Uh, this started, I don't even remember when it started, but sometime in the 80s or early 90s, I, I must have come, fallen into this role. Mm. But actually going into a college and interacting with students started, I think, towards the end of 1990. So yeah. something like 20 to 20 to 22, 23 years ago. Yes. That is when it started. Okay. So, what was your experience like teaching students or interacting with them? Okay. Um, because I find it to be a very enriching experience working with any sort of a student, you okay. know, teaching anything or my own research before a class, you know. So, what was it like for you? How did you really, how, how were you involved in it from an early stage? Uh, I, I agree with you totally that it's a very enriching experience, but I would qualify it by saying, it's not enriching to teach students. It is, a, it is it is a very enriching experience to interact with students. Yes. Because yes, I I have not I don't I have not been teaching students within quotes. 
to start with, uh, and I am extremely grateful to Professor Harris at that time of SAP for inviting me to come and evaluate some work done by the students. Okay. And that is how I started going into an institution and meeting students. So that evaluation was through a, through a series of discussions with the students to find out how much they had learned, yeah. you know, what they had done, how much had they gained from it. That is the way it started. Yeah. And even at that stage, I found it a very enriching experience. Yes. Because it was enriching because it taught me how much better, what could I do for the trainees who come to my office. Yeah. Okay, it started with that. And I never received feedback about whether I was, whether what I was doing. That is, I was called to do in, I was called in to do a job, but at no time in any of the institutions that I went to did I receive feedback whether they were happy with what I had done or not. Okay. Okay. And this for me was an extremely worrying thing. But the fact that I was called again and again led me to believe that okay, maybe I am doing I am doing okay. So anyhow, after a couple, after one or two years, I was invited by SAP to come and review the thesis work of students. Okay. And that is the time when I learned about this very structured method of taking students through their thesis which had not been there when I was a student. At first, I started doing this only for SAP. Then I was invited by Miyasi, SRM, Hindustan. I don't know if I'm leaving out some college. I think these are the colleges I've been to. Okay. Okay. So I've been there to review thesis work. Then I retired from Bharat and Associates. I retired in 2014. No, I retired in 2013. Okay. And uh, as soon as the director of Miyasi heard about this, he sent word asking me whether I, I mean, suggesting that I could come and join Niasi. Okay. So I just, I heard it. I mean, he didn't even tell, I don't think he told me, he told somebody else. I think he told Bharat or he told my daughter. And uh, the news came to me. I just smiled, shrugged it off and I didn't do anything about it. And then over the next few months, I received this message several times. So finally, I took the plunge and I went and met him. And he suggested that, look, instead of being idle, why don't you come and sit in the college? So I said, I don't know if I'm cut out to teach because I'm not actually done teaching. He yeah. said, no, 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 you have the experience, you come. So I asked him, what am I required to do? So he said, you have to be available to the students, guide them. Your experience is what we need here. Those were his words to me. So I wasn't given a specific framework. Okay. But I was given the designation of uh, design, professor design chair. Okay. So now I had to find out what does a design chair do? <laughs> so nobody could tell me exactly what a design chair does. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then uh, I was told by the director, Professor Altaf, mm. that he no wanted me not only to be helpful to the students, but also to the faculty. Okay. He said, I want you to, that is, you have to be a mentor. Yeah. I want you to mentor the faculty. I want you to be available as much as you can for the students. Okay. So fine. Yeah, after I had been in the college for a while, yeah. then Altaf gave me specific portfolios to follow. Sure. Okay. For years when I was coming there as a visiting faculty, yeah. I had been telling that is I'd been pointing out what were the shortcomings of the students in when I saw them as final year students. Yeah. yeah. And I said one of the major things is something that needs to be corrected in the first year. It is, if you go wrong in the first year, these problems are going to continue till your final year. So, I was told to handle the first year. Okay. And that is how it started. Now what happens is, in Miyasi, I handle the first, 
they the first years when they come in which is in the first semester and in the second semester i handle the final years who are into their thesis and i i try to see how the faculty teach syllabus is given to us yes. but that syllabus each faculty may have a different way of presenting it and getting the best out of students so i try to see how that is done and, and i try to make suggestions about how they they could do it better sure and uh, particularly in the first year i take a lot i spend a lot more time with the faculty because as i have said I, i think it is very critical yeah it's like molding them before yeah yeah because of the experience i have had in reviewing thesis work for almost 20 plus years yes after some initial hesitation i have gone in and i must say that i am extremely happy i i enjoy working with students i i really enjoy that yes i don't i don't teach again i need to i need to say that but yes one on one we talk a lot i talk to them about their projects try to give them new direction try to tell them how they need to approach their projects yeah also teach them about what they need to do outside of college because i think for an architect what happens outside of college is also extremely important i spoke earlier about forming friendships yes which which is your earlier stage of contact for your future clientele these yes, are yes, the initial things so that that is that ultimately all all my students are going to be when they become architects they are going to be designing a variety of buildings for a variety of users so even when they are students they need to get to know these variety of buildings experience them yeah they need to see the users of these buildings so architecture cannot be learned confining yourself to your campus putting your nose down to the grindstone reading yes. books doing drawings going to your hostel room you also need to go out and get exposed it it is absolutely necessary it is that type of a course yes absolutely then one other thing about architecture sure more than other fields this is something which is driven by your work right it's not your ability to understand alone your ability to grasp an idea understand it architecture doesn't end there yeah you you really need to work any particular idea you need to do multiple iterations of that keep refining it and in any project there are umpteen stages and at each stage this multiple iterations exploring ideas yes using whatever else you learn as part of the course into you know in advancing your project this needs to happen yeah and that is why it's a work driven course if a student see a student being very intelligent and able to grasp things easily need not necessarily do well a student who is willing to work very hard will do well yes a student who has got this ability and also works hard will do brilliantly yeah it's that type of a course so having been teaching for a few years uh, or working with students and working in an educational institution for a few years and 40 plus years working in the industry um is there anything that you would have done differently uh, in terms of what would you do differently if you had a practice today or what would you advise students as well when they are entering their entering practice for the first time i allowed myself that is after after coming out of college i only learned what i learned on work and through working i i also did not feel the need at that time to do a masters degree because i was very clear at that time at least i had no intention of becoming a teacher writing a book or any of those things i thought i mean once i completed architecture uh, the i mean once i had done with school i wanted to go into practice sure 
ultimately practice on my own, but to start with working for somebody else. That is the way I thought and went into work. So undergraduate was enough for me. And I was, I, I, I was not, I mean, this was not unusual. Most of the people of that time, if they knew that they were going into practice, they did not bother to do masters. Now, uh, today, I will tell my students, they definitely, 100%, they should not stop with undergraduate. Okay. Students must continue and get a master's degree. That is the minimum. And many of them, if they have the aptitude, they should go on and do a PhD. Or they should do multiple masters. Okay. But stopping with just a BR degree, I think is not enough. That's my first advice to students. This is something... That if I were if I were a student today and going into practice, this is something I would do differently. The other thing is, uh, sorry, would you want would you suggest they do that immediately after they finish their BARC degree, or um, should they be a bit older? Do you feel or with a little bit yeah. more? The, the, the thing is, opinion is divided on this. Sure. Even even amongst my own faculty, okay, in the college, I am of the opinion. I am of the opinion that after you do your undergraduate, a student should work for a couple of years. Okay. Two years is, in my opinion, the optimum. It's neither too long nor is it too short. But in my opinion, a minimum of one year. In my opinion, one should not jump directly into masters. Okay. The advantages of working for a while and then going on. One, you, you learn to assimilate whatever you're taught better. You have a better grasp of what what exactly you need to learn and how to learn it and there is also a very high probability that during the two years your interest might change once you have had exposure to different aspects of architecture in the real world yes as against what you have thought of while you were a student yeah so for this reason i feel this is the best way to do it okay there are others in the faculty who feel no once you you start working then the ability to work uh, to study it comes down. I don't subscribe to that view. Okay. Okay. This is uh, as far as uh, the masters. Masters is concerned. Sure. The uh, I also strongly recommend to students that they don't try to practice independently. Don't set up a pra independent practice immediately after graduating. Mm. The BR degree has only it is something like a stepping stone from which they still have to learn a lot, both through ex work exposure and maybe a masters whatever. Yeah. Before they are in a position to actually give the services that an architect needs to give. Sure. So once they have a client, they are going to be paid for their services. It, I think it would it would be a it would be an extremely wrong thing to get paid for services that you do not give properly. And I think at the point in time when they graduate, they are not not yet in a position to give these services properly. Okay. Okay. Then they, they need a little more experience. Sure. At that stage. Now there is a, something else that I also wanted to um, bring up, which um, we actually talked about when I came to meet you at Miyasi itself, where you were also talking about some of your students entering competitions, or even when they are still fairly young, fairly fresh to the industry to enter competitions. Could you just briefly touch upon that? Yeah, I think I think it is very good for students to enter competitions. I mean, that doesn't need any explanation. Yeah. And uh, students in Niasi take part in many competitions, win many competitions, and this is not confined to Niasi alone. Okay. I think there were fewer competitions when I was a student, and certain competitions we were not even encouraged to enter. Okay. And certain, I mean, the whole uh, awareness was far less at that time. But now I find that 
most institutions encourage their students to enter competitions. Okay. And at Niasi, they definitely do, and many of our students win competitions. I think that's it's an excellent thing. Yeah, it brings them breaks that they can yes. jump a few steps ahead. And it gives them confidence. It allows them to compare where do they stand amongst their peer. You know. Yes. So. Uh, it's it's good and it is already happening. Another thing, incidentally, which Bharatan Associates, because I said we didn't compete. The other thing we didn't do was we didn't document our work. And today, at the fag end, that is now I have retired. Yeah. And I don't have a record of the work that we did. We did over a thousand projects. A very large number of our projects, of course, were residences, factories, and a fairly diverse portfolio. Yeah. But we have absolutely, I mean, almost like a zero. Record. We were excellent at preserving our work files and drawings, but all of that, 100% of that, we lost in the 2015 floods. All of it, everything, including the hard drives of the computers, which were which went under water, because the, the water level in the office. See, we were in an office where the ground sloped towards the river. Yes. So we had a we had what was known as a basement, which was above ground. Okay. So we never thought that that place would get flooded, but in 2015, if you remember, it was a man-made it was a man-made disaster. Yes. And water came and it overflowed and it went on to Anasalai. Yes. And this basement and the part of the ground floor was underwater. So we lost all this all the work which was on paper and all the work which was digitally stored. We lost. So we are now a firm which has existed for such a long time with. Hardly any records. I mean, there may be one or two records if they are there on the personal computers of people. Okay. That's about it. And I tried to retrieve to check what I have at home. I couldn't find. That's where we saw. Oh my God, that is that is sad to hear. Yeah. But it is with. So I'm coming back to this. Yes. For students and for people who are graduating and who are start setting up practice, document your work. I would say document the work as you go along. Take photographs of your work. Take photographs of sites before you start working. If you are doing an alteration work, photograph the place extensively. Take photographs as you work. Document the work, drawings and papers, correspondence that you will have. But also completed work, document it. Get yes. photographs taken professionally and store it in multiple places. Yes. Okay. This is my advice. Given that you are now working with a lot of students, and um, I have actually met some of the people who have. Uh, Spoken to you at NIAC while they were students there, and they are practicing architects today. As I keep meeting a lot of architects day to day, I keep running into people who know you, um, because we all know the community is very small, and conversation always brings people up. And you come up fairly regularly in conversation with uh, the younger architects. Now, given that you have so much, they have so much of exposure to you and you to them. Um, where do you, where do you see architecture going in India? But more importantly, I know it's another two-part question. But more importantly, um, where would you like architecture and design to go forward? First of all, for me, it is extremely heartening to hear that students or others speak well of me. Okay, I think I mentioned earlier in passing that uh, when I first went to SAP, first went into an institution and I did what was required of me, not getting feedback on whether what I was doing was adequate or good or whatever. So, what I got from you now is some feedback. Yes. Okay. I think feedback is extremely important and this is something that I try to ensure that my students receive from me. 
So if I think that a student is doing well, I make it a point to tell the student, yes, you are doing well. But I think this is something that is absolutely uh, important. Now, uh, uh, the first part of your, could you just restate the first part of your question? I got the second part. Um, it was more about uh, where would you like, when you see Indian, the Indian okay. architecture scene going. Okay, architecture scene, see, un unfortunate, unfortunately, I uh, I feel that there is too much of, whether it is client driven or architect driven, I'm not sure. But I see the um, uh, too much of foreign influence in the, in the sense that buildings which have been designed in other parts of the world being copied or emulated over here. Okay. I know from personal ex experience that very often it is a client who wants a certain, he wants us to put in a lot of glass. Then let us say a completely glass sealed building is not called for over here. Or a building which is totally driven, there is air condition, takes in a lot of, needs a lot of energy to make it work. There are clients who, who ask for such buildings. Of course, they don't say, give me a building which takes a lot of energy. Yes. But, the, but the way they want us to design the building ends up in that. At least I used to find it. So, I would like our architecture to be totally influenced by the context, by the geography, by the climate. I also feel that the character of a place, yes, that character also needs to drive the architecture of the place. I am not saying being in Palava tradition over here. That is not what I am trying to tell you. Yes. Okay. Can, there can be modern buildings, but don't build buildings which don't give the feeling of Chennai when a person is in Chennai. Don't build, I mean, when a person enters a town or a city, that city, the architecture of the place must have a certain flavor so that a person knows that he is in that particular place. It should be there. It, it needs to be there at the national level, regional level, and to an extent at the smaller level also. So that is one direction in which I would like architecture to go and not into the current trend of international architecture where you could be in any city and unless you know where you are, if for any reason you are disoriented, you don't know where you are because the architecture doesn't give you a clue. I don't, I don't like that type of architecture. The other thing is, too much of the architecture and the designing that is done today is the designing of mechanically driven buildings, of mechanically serviced, mechanically uh, serviced in the sense air conditioned buildings, non-ventilated buildings, uh, sewage, drainage, this one, water supply, everything not gravity driven but power driven, is everything depends on power, electricity, technology to make the building work. Mm -hmm. I would like architecture to be done in such a way, that is the designing to be done in such a way that building works by itself with minimal mechanical intervention, technological intervention, working with nature and what nature provides and all this technology and electricity and power, whatever, coming in to support this, to yes. supplement this. Not a situation where if that is not there, the building won't work at all. That type of an architecture is something, I see the trend towards that quite a bit, both among students and even in finished work, which I see by practicing architects. And that is something I think we should definitely, uh, I mean, we should move away from that. It is yeah. something that has to be avoided. Having said this, there are a number of architects who feel the same way as I do. And so within the architectural community, there are many architects who practice practice everything that I, I speak about now. Yes. And you said earlier, yes. responsible architects. Yes, there are many, many responsible architects. But equally, there are very many irresponsible architects also. Yeah. I think now having spoken to you 
several times over the past few years and also for the last hour or so um, I am really grateful that you gave me the time to, to do this recording because I am sure there are people who will be able to listen to this and you know take something away from it um, given your experience working and given your experience as an educator as well um, thank you so much for, for doing this and I, I hope we get to talk again even on camera and off camera as well Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity. This episode was recorded at the offices of Shreya Nagarajan Singh Arts Development Consultancy. If you would like to hire this space, contact them at the links in the episode description. To watch this and other episodes of the show, please subscribe to Srinag Pictures on YouTube or you can listen to the audio podcast by subscribing to Everything Comes Together on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or on the podcast app of your choice. The music for the show was composed by Ashray Harishankar from Escapist Music. Post-production by Thiruvikraman Srinivasaragavan of SNS Arts Development Consultancy and production assistance by Abdul Jilani. You can reach me on Instagram at Srinag or from my website www.srinagpictures.com I'll be back in two weeks with another fascinating guests who work in photography, architecture or design. Until we meet again, it's goodbye from Mylapur.